I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands... You will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command... I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Good morning, St. Clair. Can you hear me? Yes, great. Thank you. So good to be with you in our new space. Uh, we're excited for what God is doing in our community. We're just thankful to so many of you who've made the adjustment. I also want to personally say thanks to all those who serve in our community. There's our breakfast team, our worship crew, uh, just being here and being willing to say, oh, this community means enough that I will serve and bless so that others can find the way of Jesus. As we've moved into a new space, uh, during the summer, Dave and I didn't preach that often. In fact, I don't think I preached this summer, and part of that is trying to encourage people within our community who have gifts to use them uh, within the church and see them grow in their preaching gift, which also might mean I'm a little rusty. So be really kind to me this morning and don't heckle too loudly, Gareth Inkster. So... uh, This morning, what we want to do is kind of set out a bit of a trajectory as we move into the fall season at St. Clair. One of the questions Dave and I, as we're praying through this season, we're asking is, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in Hamilton in 2019? What's it look like to be a follower of Jesus in Hamilton in 2019? And as I was contemplating this, I actually reminded myself of a deeply philosophical, artistic work that was released in 2003 that really helped me think through this question deeply. It was the movie Elf. Has anyone seen that? 
Will Ferrell, maybe, I mean, everyone has seen Elf. If you haven't seen Elf, where have you been at Christmas for the last few years? We watch it every year in my house. Will Ferrell, uh, as a young kid, is kind of adopted, taken uh, without, uh, I was going to say Father Christmas, that's what we say in England, uh, Santa, to the North Pole, and he's raised as an elf, but he's still a human. At one point, he realizes, oh, I was actually born to human parents who live in New York City. And so Will Ferrell, dressed in his outfit, finds his way in New York, and he realizes, we live in a cruel world, because I'm an elf, and I'm very kind. Especially, I love that part when he goes into the coffee shop and he says, congratulations on the world's greatest coffee, Um, which we also have in Hamilton. I do want to point that out. But anyway, as I was thinking about this movie, I think at times, actually, following Jesus can feel like, how do we do this well? At times, we can feel like a little out of place. We love our city. We want to live in the city well. We want to be in our neighborhoods and express our love for people as we live there. But yet, we are slightly different because we claim that Jesus is Lord. Our vision at St. Clair has always been to make disciples of Jesus, and this won't change. But actually, sometimes being a disciple of Jesus, particularly in our contested space in which we live, can be really challenging. So this fall, we want to look at how do we do that well. Theologian Stanley Hauerwas says that the people of God are actually a peculiar people. He uses the phrase resident aliens. And he says this, whenever people are bound together in loyalty to a story that includes something as strange as the Sermon on the Mount, we are at odds with the world. See, Jesus' manifesto of how to live life in the kingdom will always put us in context and contrast to what God is doing in the world around us. And so our plan for the fall is to look at the story of God as we go into September, October, November, and ask the question, how did God's people throughout the scripture also live the way of God in their context and their place? And are there things we can learn from the people of God historically to do that today? This morning, I want to look at John 15, which is the verses that Gloria read, because I think in these verses is actually a bit of a way to understand how we actually do that. What's interesting to me, though, is when Gloria paused in John, that's normally the bit we read, and it's the bit I like, I'm familiar with. It's beautifully poetic. Jesus is talking about vine and branches and fruit and sacrifice, And that seems to be really lovely. And Jesus says this in verse 18, just after what Gloria read. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Oh, thanks, Jesus. Captain Encouragement. Um, But I think what Jesus is saying, if you live this way and if you follow me, there will be times when it won't be easy and it will be difficult. Jesus wants to make that pretty clear to his disciples. At times, there will be a sense of feeling contested. I think, actually, if we don't live in a place of tension, we often need to ask ourselves why. Not because we're not gracious and loving and kind to people, but the value systems of the kingdom seem to flip on its head the value systems of the world in which we live. So as we think about it this fall, there will be some challenges along the way. Stanley Hauerwas, who I referenced earlier, says this. It's hard to remember that Jesus did not come to make us safe, but rather to make us disciples. 
Citizens of God's new age, a kingdom of surprise. I love that language. Our role in following Jesus isn't to be safe. It's to follow him wherever he calls us to go. And as I thought about this idea of following Jesus in Hamilton in 2019, this passage came to mind, particularly a couple of parts in it. Jesus says to his disciples, and this is really important, the context for John is uh, embedded just before Jesus' prayer, as he prays for his disciples, and Jesus actually prays for us. But after the Last Supper, where he's told them this is what it looks like to serve the world around you, in John 15, in this teaching before, the last teaching before Jesus goes to the cross, he says these words, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. I now call you friends. And Jesus' refrain in these verses in order to be a friend of Jesus, is to remain in him. Have you ever thought about this? Eleven times in a few short verses, Jesus uses the word remain. In some translations, it's abide. But I get the impression if Jesus says that eleven times in so few verses, he's actually trying to make a point. He's trying to say, life with me means remaining in me. And I think in Hamilton 2019, what Hamilton needs most is people who are friends of Jesus. You see, I don't think we need more opinionated people. I actually don't think we need more talented people. I don't think we need more self-righteous people. I don't even think we need more activistic people. I think we need people who know Jesus and actually live out of friendship with him. So what does it look like to remain or abide, as Jesus says? I think that actually means to practice the presence of God every single day. Brother Lawrence, years ago, wrote this beautiful book about practicing the presence of God. Maybe my language would be to be present to God in our lives and the world around us. I think that's what it means to be remaining and connected to Jesus. What's it look like in our everyday life, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our schools, in our places of work, to actually be present to where God is around us and in us? See, I'm so distracted on a regular basis every single day. And what I've been learning is to be present to God means to be connected to the vine. See, I think we're people in need of direction, and I think we're people in need of purpose. And I was actually thinking this week that in many ways, we're people who desperately want a roadmap. And in many ways, I think Jesus has given us a compass. I think we're desperate to find the way, what's the plan, how do we figure this out? We want the 10 bullet points. And Jesus says, oh, the compass always points back to true north, which is me. And it draws us back into relationship with Jesus. It's interesting that in Mark chapter 3 and verse 13, when Jesus calls the first disciples to himself, it says this. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. And then they go out to preach and do the things of the kingdom. But it's interesting that Jesus first says he calls those who he wants to be with him, And as they're with him, they figure out what to do out of that. So what does it mean to be connected to Jesus, who is the vine? 
Verse 1 says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I wonder if Jesus is saying here that he's the true vine and the source of all life and hope, but actually there are other vines we can be connected to. Maybe there are other places that we look for our deepest meaning, our place of identity, and our place of fullness in life. And Jesus is saying, you can be connected to lots of different vines, but I'm actually the true vine. I was thinking in my own life, is my vine the vine of achievement, the vine of a certain lifestyle, the vine of success, the vine even of a certain relationship? Or is Jesus saying, I am the only one who can bring you what you really need? Remain in me and stay with me. As I was thinking about our community this morning, particularly as we head into the fall, maybe a question to ask is, which vine am I actually connected to? I mean, really, maybe that's a good process of self-evaluation. I did that myself. What's it mean to be connected to Jesus as the vine? But maybe at the moment I feel connected to a lot of different vines. Jesus goes on to say, remain in me, be in relationship with me. Because without that, Jesus is pretty explicit, you can do nothing. A few weeks ago, we were praying, and we were actually praying for these verses. And Elaine Moran, who's on our leadership team, she had this picture, and she said, what I've noticed in my own life is uh, I had this picture of a branch that was actually cut off from a tree. And initially, when you see it, it looks like there's still life on it, because maybe you see leaves on it, but it's actually cut off. And she said, in my life, often I can have the appearance of being in relationship with Jesus, but actually deep down, I'm not connected to the vine. So I'm trying to convince everyone else that I'm doing well, but actually inside I'm feeling dead. What I want to do this morning is not guilt you. Uh, I'll be totally honest, pastors and churches throughout history are good at guilt, but I actually don't think guilt is part of transformation. What I want to do this morning is invite you more deeply into relationship with Jesus. What's it mean to accept Jesus' invitation to remain in him and out of that place know how to fully live into the world? The Dutch theologian Hans Ruckmarker says this, Jesus didn't come to make us a Christian. Jesus came to make us more fully human. I think that's the vision of God in the beginning, in the garden. He created humanity and says, I want you to live into that. The fall and man's independence from God broke that. And ever since, Jesus has been inviting us back into this way of saying, who are you? How do you live into your full humanity as you follow me? As Irenaeus might say, the glory of God is a man fully alive. Later on in John 15 in verse 9, Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you've heard that verse a bunch of times, uh, maybe you grew up in church and you've heard sermons on vine and branches and you've read that verse and you, uh, as I was reading this week, I was nodding along like, yes. And then I read it again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, now remain in my love. This is deeply profound 
and in many ways deeply shocking. Think about what Jesus is saying here. The Father has loved me, the same love that God the Father has for Jesus is now the love that Jesus has for us. Now remain in that love. If you're like me, you're always like, yeah, but that's Jesus. You know, that's a good Sunday school answer. But I think what Jesus is saying here is, no, the same love is available to you. And what Jesus says, remain in my love. That's really important. There's a pastor in New York, John Tyson, who uh, I listen to sometimes, and he says this. He says, Jesus isn't saying, remain in how you feel about God's love for you. I feel like me every day I struggle with that. Does Jesus love me? I should be reading my Bible more. I should be working with the poor more. I probably should sell my house and move somewhere else and do something more dramatic. Then Jesus will love me more. That's actually not what the Bible teaches. Jesus is saying here, remain in my love, which is deeply covenantal and for you. The Hebrew word has said, loving faithfulness. Jesus is saying, you need to remain in that. And then out of that, you will learn to live for me in Hamilton in 2019. See, our, Jesus' love for us is not based on our performance. I mean, some of us need to know that afresh this morning. I needed to know that as I read these verses. Jesus isn't saying how you perform for me and the works you do and how you live as a good disciple is my love for you. Jesus is saying that is not based on performance. It is my love for you. Jesus goes on to say in verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I've been thinking a lot recently about joy and joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And the reason I've thought a lot about it is recently I encountered someone who was extremely joyful. And here's what I thought. You're weird and you must be faking it. I know you never have that. Here's why. We live in such a cynical world, we don't actually think that is true or possible. When we meet someone who seems to be full of joy, we're always like, I don't know, there's got to be some catch. But what if Jesus is saying that is actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit? I'm more convinced than ever the mark of maturity as a Christian is someone who is full of joy. Not happiness, but joy. C.S. Lewis, his great work on how he came to faith in Jesus, his book is called Surprised by Joy. He said the difference between him not knowing Jesus and then encountering Jesus was he started to be filled with this deep felt joy in his life. Henry Nouwen would say this about joy. It's a long quote, but it's Henry Nouwen, so you can bear with me. Joy is essential to the spiritual life. Whatever we may think or say about God, when we are not joyful, our thoughts and words cannot bear fruit. Jesus reveals to us God's love so that his joy may become ours and that our joy may become complete. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, Emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away. Joy is not the same as happiness. 
We can be unhappy about many things, but joy can still be there because it comes from the knowledge of God's love for us. Ooh, that's good. Let's read that again. But joy can still be there because it comes from the knowledge of God's love for us. Not how we feel God thinks about us, but his covenantal love. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety, and that nothing, not even death, can take God's love away from us. When Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he is clear to the church in Galatia that it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Not trying to be better, not trying to be more joyful, not trying to be more patient. So it's interesting to me that Jesus says, remain in me. I'm going to send my Spirit to fill you. And as my Spirit fills you and transforms you, there will be fruit in your life. And as we remain in Jesus and are connected to him in relationship, we become more joyful people. Jesus goes on saying, verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I was reading through these verses. I was praying for St. Clair this week. And and this is what I felt uh, God shared with me as I was praying for these verses. And maybe this is for some of you, because I felt it pretty strongly. I felt Jesus say to me, Matt, do you know I actually want to be your friend? Do you actually believe that is true? So I think for many of us, uh, maybe because of certain social media platforms, our view of friendship has been skewed in certain ways. I think there's a loneliness in our culture more than ever where we're desperately looking for friends. I had one of those moments, I'll be quite honest, a few weeks ago where I was like, maybe you've done this, who are my real friends? I know none of you have ever done that. And then I thought, oh, but Jesus is saying here, he's inviting us to be in friendship with him. And some of us need to know this morning, Jesus longs to be our friend. Because he actually loves us and enjoys our company. And think about what friendship is. Friendship is about knowing the person we're in friendship, what is so important to them and also important to us, and just being in relationship with them. Jesus cares about the things that are important to you. I've said this a few times. It's interesting to me in Genesis that before the fall, it says God is walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. The fall hasn't happened, so they have nothing really to pray about that's gone wrong in the world. But what does it look like to be in relationship with God like we would be in relationship with our friends? I think in many ways, there's a move that takes place in our Christian life that I've thought about for a while, and it's this. It's a move from doing things for God, to use Paul's language in Colossians, to now being in Christ. 
See, I think when we first come to faith, because we're so overwhelmed with what Jesus has done for us, we think, I now have to go out and do all these things for God to show God how I thankful I am for his love for me. And that's normal, I think. That was me. And I need to go and serve God in places around the world. And then at some point you realize, oh, God likes what we do for him, but there's a shift that takes place and says, but you're not my servant, you're actually a friend. Come with me and move into this deeper relationship of knowing the things that are on my heart as I share them with you. I think as we think about this fall at St. Clair, as I said earlier, the greatest gift we could bring to our community and our city, at St. Clair we want to make disciples of Jesus who live as a family on mission in the Sherman neighborhood, Hamilton, and the world, one of the greatest ways we can do that is actually at our core just to be friends of Jesus. As I close out my message this morning and before we take communion, uh, I just wanted to share something that's been really helpful in my life because as I share this, you can think, Matt, I love this idea, but I have no idea how to get started. Maybe you're like me. You feel inspired and you're like, yes, friends with Jesus. And you walk out the door after you've had your amazing vintage coffee and then go home and think, oh, I don't know. How do I become a friend of Jesus? Uh, Dallas Willard has this uh, thing that he calls VIM, which he says is vision, intention, and means. And he says, he asks people, what is the vision for your life? In the kingdom. Maybe this morning we'd say it's a vision to be friends of Jesus. And he says we can have this vision, but to make it reality, there's some steps we actually have to take. He then goes on to say intention, and he says this What is the price tag for the vision that you've articulated? On reflection, what will you have to give up, and what will you need to pick up? So we think about being a friend of Jesus. What are the things we need to give up? Because we realize this is hindering me in that. Maybe for some of us, it's actually busyness of doing things for God. And then what are the things we need to pick up? My language would be, what are the practices that can help shape us to be friends of Jesus? And then means, he goes on to say, what practices will you take on to achieve the intention He says this, trying harder won't last, but training involves specific practices. So you can think this morning, I'm going to try harder to be a friend of Jesus. I'm going to remain better in the vine. And Jesus is like, you're in the vine. How do you stay connected? Maybe to spend more time reading the text. Maybe to think about what does my prayer life actually look like? Do I have times of just waiting and listening to the voice of Jesus. But if we think about this vision of being a friend of Jesus, what is the intentionality, and then what are the means to getting there? Jesus, at the end of his discourse, as he prays for his disciples, ends up going to the cross. And as we think about remaining in the vine... I think we remember of what Jesus has actually done for us. We're to remain in his love, this deeply sacrificial love that he has for us.